made in the trade civil war. And I'm here with Jeremy Gates. How you doing? Good. Good to have you, Jeremy. Thank you. We're discussing Civil War yes. by Marvel Comics, which will soon be a major motion picture at the time of this recording. And we are recording this in very early 2016, January of 2016. When we read this, it was shortly thereafter it was released in publication. So you got the trade probably within the year of it finishing its run. Yeah, one of the... Right? As current as I'm as I ever have been on a comic, I read this when it was fresh. Right. So sometime in 2007, I'm assuming. Yeah. What was your initial impression of Civil War when it came out? I feel like back in 2007, I was I was kind of an Iron Man homer after I read okay. it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I was a little counter to what they were I don't want to say pushing, but right. the theme of the book mainly because mm-hmm. I'm not a metahuman. Or a superhuman. So I kind of saw what Iron Man felt Mm -hmm. dealing with the mother, things like that. Right. Mother of one of the victims, yes. Yeah, yeah. One of the mothers of the victim. Like Iron Man has to shoulder all of that. Right. Captain America doesn't have to deal with any of that. I mean, he deals with the reality of it, but not. Yeah. So when I remember, when I read it, I remember kind of uh, empathizing with Iron Man. And then as the story progresses, they make Iron Man more and more militant, I guess. Mm-hmm. Iron Man and the people in his uh, in his group. His group, yes. Yeah. But on both sides, really, like a lot of people are doubling down on their pragmatism. Well, I'll get into the yeah. I'll get into yeah. the story very but soon. My my initial impression was I don't understand why Captain America is the hero of this. Okay. When I read it in two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. When I read it, I was siding with Captain America. I was of two different mindsets. One was the idea of mutant registration was something that was introduced in the late 1980s, which also was uh, correlating with a current event topic. The Brady Bill was passing uh, where gun registration hadn't been a thing before that. And so the idea was having mutant registration, which was even a topic introduced in the first X-Men movie. If you recall, they were talking about mutant registration. Right. And the implications of registering a human being rather than just a firearm. This, at the time, was a parallel to Homeland Security, a parallel to 9-11, the reactions of the government uh, in wake of 9-11. And I thought it was interesting, once again, bringing a current event topic into that. And also including all people of superpowers, not just people born with superpowers. Because Marvel always did this thing where... It was wrong to be born with superpowers. You were a freak. But if you were accidentally given superpowers like the Fantastic Four or most of the Avengers, then it was okay. You were regarded as a superhero, which didn't always jibe with me. And in this story, it seemed to marry this idea of, hey, they're more powerful than us. We should kind of be afraid. Yeah, that's a great point about being born versus acquiring them through some Mm -hmm. gamma bomb or something. Right. I, I never really consider that, that the X-Men get persecuted and mm-hmm. Reed Richards is famous. Right, to exactly. It down. Um, so yeah, I, I never even considered that. And you're right, this one put them all in the same boat and the X-Men kind of thumb their nose at that. <laughs> right. Like, welcome to yeah. our world. 
Exactly. Yeah, they've been dealing with this for decades now, and so so now now you're <laughs> now you're thinking this is an issue. Yeah, now suddenly it's important to you because it affects you. So in issue one of Civil War, the New Warriors are filming a season two of their reality TV show when they bust in on some C-list villains. Nitro explodes, killing innocent people. Superhero registration support grows. Johnny Storm is assaulted in public. S.H.I.E.L.D. attempts to apprehend Captain America. Iron Man proposes to lead the effort to apprehend Captain America. And that's the end of issue one. So what sticks out to me in issue one, one thing I mentioned already about Tony Stark being the one that has to, you know, he attends the funeral and the mother of yeah. one of the children who passed away spits in right. his face. Yes. And, you know, he's the one that has to shoulder that, like that burden, because mm-hmm. he's yep. the public Avenger. Right. Right. He's the one with his face out there. So he has to deal with basically the brunt of all of it. Right. So it kind of makes an impression on him, it seems like, that mm-hmm. the other Avengers that go on the, uh, the the secret Avenger side don't have to deal with. Right. And also Johnny Storm in that issue, something that stuck out is when he gets uh, attacked in front of the club. Yes, he's got this cocky attitude of, I'm a celebrity, I, I should be able to cut in line. Uh, he he says the line of um, when one of you guys saves the city from Galactus, let me know, <laughs> which is a great line. Yeah, and then one of them points out, well, they call him essentially a baby killer, right? And he says those guys are the what are they called? The new warriors? The, the new warriors. <laughs> the new warriors. Yes, he, he calls the new warriors sea listers, right? Which you know just shows his hubris, shows that Johnny right. Storm's on another level. He can't be bothered by them. Mm -hmm. And then he gets beaten to a coma. Right. This has never been done with someone like Johnny Storm. Any any member of the Fantastic Four, with the exception of The Thing. I mean, The Thing, because he's not physically attractive, has always been kind of shunned. But for most of the Fantastic Four, have been kind of treated as a royal family. Right. Within the Marvel Universe and in New York City in particular. Just people love the Fantastic Four. Johnny Storm's kind of a sex symbol. Kind of gets what he wants, um, and then now he's being physically assaulted, and they put him in the hospital as a result of his beating. Right, yeah, he's meeting with essentially a Playboy model out front of this club. Right. And, yeah, they beat him unconscious, mm-hmm. which is interesting right. because he can fly, but I guess he got cheap shot <laughs> in the back of the head. They got the drop on him. Yeah. <laughs> I think once once you bust a bottle on the side of someone's head, it's difficult to fly around. And I guess... Johnny Storm is responsible enough to not catch fire around a bunch of mortals. The other, you know, from that issue, the other thing that stuck out that I forgot about um, is when they confront Captain America. What's her name? Maria Hill. Maria Hill confronts Captain America. First of all, she essentially orders him to take down any of these dissenters, uh, people that Captain America assumed were going to break ranks and not conform with the Superhero Registration Act. Right. He mentions people like Daredevil and one or two other people, and Marie Hill's like, so no one you will have any problem taking down. Right, and that's and Captain America's. Go ahead. Yeah. Cap- yeah, Captain America's very surprised that she would even suggest taking down allies of him, but she doesn't even request it. Like, she just outright orders him that this is how this is going to go down, and Captain America does not respect her authority in this case. 
And that brings me to my point, which he says that superheroes have to be above politics or Washington mm-hmm. tells them who the enemy is. Right. Which I feel was very um, relevant in 2007. Right. Right. Being told who the enemy is mm-hmm. kind of rallying around that. But it's an interesting thing now when we think about it, when he says, you know, we have to be above Washington, essentially, because mm-hmm. he would rather decide that for himself. Uh, Captain America would. Captain America, yeah, would rather decide who the enemy is, which is fair, right. except he has the superpower to act on it. Meaning he, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want politics or Washington telling him who his enemy is. I think there's a difference. I, I don't think he's specifically saying that in that instance, meaning he doesn't feel Washington should be able to tell his cohorts who the enemy is because he himself has been ordered in particular directions many times. It's kind of like what his deal is. Right. But he doesn't feel that his status with the country should be applied to all superheroes, peoples with uh, super secret identities. Okay, that makes sense. So I think, yeah, I think he's fine with being told what to do by Washington, but he doesn't think that that, because he does it by choice, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, as someone who's enlisted in the army, as someone who is a superhero, essentially employed by the the federal government, he doesn't think that that should overextend to include everyone, because he knows people's secret identities, he knows them as friends, and he knows that they don't choose what to do what he does for very specific reasons. So he's fighting more for the right to a secret identity, not for his own personal gain. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and the last thing about that is, you know, he gets into a fight with a bunch of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Right, which is spectacular. Point. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic <laughs> with the, the F-15. Um, and likely an influence the Winter Soldier fight that happens in S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. Um, in, in the movie, the movie uh, Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier. Right. Yeah, that's pretty much the same situation that right. goes down. Um, mm-hmm. But that's the first time in the comic we see Captain America a little bit arrogant. Mm-hmm. A little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to say buying his own hype, but mm-hmm. he's starting to be arrogant. <laughs> he's he's saying very cocky things to these soldiers who are just doing their job. Um. There's um quite a few examples that people who don't like this story mm-hmm. of characters being a little bit out of character to fit the requirements of the story itself. And when I was first reading it, I didn't consider that because I was enjoying pretty much the whole story. But now going back and rereading it, I've, I've seen quite a few examples. I think that's just one of many. I, you know, it, it is out of character, but I think that's the point of the story. Right. Right. Is that yeah. both sides are acting out of character, which is why there's a civil war. Right. I think because they have a certain belief system that they're following that belief system to a fault. Yeah. And I, you know, ultimately that's the point. But. Right. Uh, Captain America and his group are continuing to take down supervillains while in hiding. Reed Richards is excited about his new plans for the registration. Captain America saves the young Avengers from apprehension, and the registration law passes. At the very end, Spider Man reveals his secret identity to the public. This was huge when this happened. Oh, Spider-Man taking off his yeah. mask? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I heard about that. 
<laughs> yeah. before I read the comic. Like that was mm-hmm. Channel Seven headline, which is remarkable. It's so funny when the comic book writers and editors decide to make this choice, and it makes mainstream media to see Spider-Man, you know, leading the news because he mm-hmm. told the world who he is. Right. <laughs> Is, is crazy. Oh, but it was a phenomenal panel as well. I mean, the whole J- right. Jonah Jameson lead up. Yeah, he, he passes out. Captain America saving the new Avengers, was it? Yeah, it's the Young Avengers. Young Avengers. It's, it's easy for me and other people to confuse the Young Avengers with the New Warriors. Right. <laughs> which were what kicked off this whole storyline in the first place. The Young Avengers are basically relatives or somehow inspired by the Avengers themselves, but they're younger. That's like Patriot. Right. Exactly. So Patriot is a young version of Captain America. Hulkling is a young version of the Hulk. There's Wiccan, who's sort of a young version of Thor, but sort of uh, Doctor Strange. There's all sorts of young equivalents. And many, many of them, Stature, for example, is the daughter of Scott Lang, who, by the way, is in the movie. She's the daughter of Scott Lang in the movie. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 As someone who's not a monthly comic reader Mm -hmm. a lot of the there's a lot of characters in this right (laughs) yeah um but something that stood out was when he's rescuing the new avengers and cap is undercover he kicks a cop out of a moving car (laughs) (laughs) right Mm -hmm. and then the cop causes three other cop cars to flip over he was in armor though right wasn't he in some sort of special armor the cop is in armor. The one who okay. Captain America kicks into traffic yeah. is in armor. The yeah. three cops in the caprices that start flipping over, <laughs> yes. I imagine, are not in full body armor. <laughs> you, you know, that's it's an interesting point. Uh, we could also assume that maybe everyone in that task force is, but, you know, it's, again, potentially out of character. It's one of those, yeah, it's one of those things that the first time I breezed through it and just said, mm-hmm. oh, Captain America, save them. Right. And this time I went, Captain America just killed like six cops. <laughs> <laughs> because Which, F you if you get in the way of Captain America. Right. He's on a mission and they're mm-hmm. the enemy. So suddenly right. he's treating them like Hydra agents or Nazis. He just kicks them right yeah. out the door and the car's right. giant accident. And mm-hmm. we assume that they live because it's Captain America doing it. Right, right. But, you know, it's hard to guarantee someone lives in a three-car pileup. But that that stuck out to me, Mm -hmm. is that, once again, potentially out of character. So I wouldn't Mm -hmm. call it out of character. It's more like out of character for the reality of superheroes. Like, it's not something you would normally see Captain America do in an issue. He's clearly under the gun, and he's, you know, sticking to his guns, so to speak. He's going more from ultimate morality to this is war mode. Right. Yeah, he, he's treating this as if it's a war. And he's treating it mm-hmm. as a war very quickly. Right. Like, he just dealt with S.H.I.E.L.D., and now he's in complete underground resistance mode. Right. And also, this f- whole story feels very quick if you're just limited to the core story of issues one through seven of Civil War. There is a whole series of spinoffs that happen around this. At the time I was first reading this, I was also a current reader of... The New Avengers, Avengers, which is two different books, uh, as well as Civil War Frontline, which are all great supplements to the storyline and give a little more insight as to why people change their minds as rapidly as they seem to 
in this story. But right now we're just reviewing this core storyline, so it's totally up for critique if you feel like it seems a little jarring for stuff to happen too quickly. Right. Yeah, I was aware of the meta plot. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't read any of it. I just stuck to Civil right. War. Right. Yeah, the um, Avengers storyline that coincides with this gives a lot more insight of why Spider-Man chooses Iron Man, why he gets that suit of armor, and then why he later turns on him. I assumed he was with Iron Man just because he got a shiny new suit out of it. I mean, <laughs> I don't, you know, I didn't know what was happening with Spider-Man at that point. Right. Well, cuz Spider-Man could be he could be anywhere when I pick up a comic, right? Like when I picked up this particular comic, he was married. Right. And Mary Jane. I think like, you know, a month later he made a mm-hmm. deal with the devil and then was exactly. married to his old blonde girlfriend. Um, so it's kind of hard to, <laughs> he was pin single, sp- but yeah, yeah, it's hard to pin Spider-Man down. So I just assumed, mm-hmm. well, Tony Stark gave him a suit, right? <laughs> Which is very shallow when you think about it, but, uh, it is, there's, there's more that goes into it. He simply idolizes Tony Stark as a scientist. Okay. Makes so Peter sense. Parker's always been a more of a, a science oriented character. And so seeing someone who's basically like a Steve Jobs type inventor, you know, he's totally into, you know? Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. Somewhere in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s PR department, they decided to call their teams Cape Killers. Not yeah. the best thing to brand them as. No. If you're trying to get people on your side. Right. Like when I saw Cape Killers, I was like, oh, did S.H.I.E.L.D. just call themselves that? Yeah. Do you recall who was using that term? Because I know it was it was branded on them. Was it branded by the Secret Avengers? Was it branded by the news media? You know, I think it would be pretty boneheaded if Maria Hill was calling them Cape Killers and, and Iron Man's just like, uh, okay. Yeah. You wonder if when, when Iron Man hears the term Cape Killer for the first time, right. if he wonders, am I, am I joined up with the right, mm-hmm. right, right group here? <laughs> exactly. But anyway, I just wanted to point that out. That's a good point. A good point. Yes. So issue three, there's clearly this rift that is forming in the Richards marriage. Reed Richards and Sue Richards. Uh, Black Panther and Reed Richards are discussing what's going on with this registration act. Black Panther tells him Wakanda is going to remain neutral. Reed Richards reveals that he hasn't called Sue or Johnny in some time, even though Johnny's been in the hospital for a while. Black Panther tells him, dude, call call your wife. So that's important. Uh, later on, Tony Stark approaches the White Queen, who's the current head of the X-Men, and she claims that the X-Men are going to remain neutral. They've got a history with anti-registration and not being helped in a lot of these situations in the past. Iron Man springs a trap on Captain America's Secret Avengers. There's a big fight, and then shor- and then Thor shows up at the end of the issue. So th- when Thor shows up, right. I had to remind myself that Thor was dead. Because, you know, reading it today, to me, yeah. Thor is alive and well and right. played and by why- a dreamy Australian. Yeah, right. And the question was simply, why hasn't he shown up earlier in this story? Right. And as I learned, apparently he's dead or was right. dead at the time. Right. At the time, he was dead via Ragnarok, the end of Asgard. Okay. And th- this is the issue that starts with them in disguise, sitting in a diner. Yes. So Steve Rogers and some others in his group have new secret identities. Right. Goliath and mm-hmm. I forget, the, the two two other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hercules. 
Hercules, which mm-hmm. is hilarious. Yeah. Um, it made me think of something with them sitting there in a diner with Steve with a fake mustache on. If you've ever seen a professional sports athlete in person, they look a certain way, right? Right, right. Like, like if a linebacker was in disguise, you'd go, man, that bus driver's in amazing physical shape. Right. So when there's four superheroes sitting at a diner, mm-hmm. and they're all bodybuilders, Right, and all from different jobs. You wonder if if hysteria is spreading about superheroes <laughs> and the Secret Avengers. Mm-hmm. Does it turn into a thing where there's like a witch hunt on bodybuilders? Wow, because there's a there's a point where <laughs> they all run out of that diner and they tear mm-hmm. off their you know they tear off their civvies so to speak. Right, and they have their superhero suit underneath. Right, you wonder if it turns into a witch hunt. Where people are like, look under the clothes, see if it's Daredevil, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. Because they're always wearing their suits. It, it struck me as funny. Like, if things get out of control, do bodybuilders start getting accosted? Right. Or people in great shape and going, get under him, get under those clothes, it's, see if there's It's a, a good Spider-Man. point, because, like, I would point out superheroes are still the minority, and there's right. still going to be a lot of people that are in good shape that aren't superheroes. But if there's paranoia... Then it's a total valid point. Yeah, why wouldn't you just stereotype people who are in excellent shape as possibly being uh, right. superheroes? But that occurred to me when they were all dressed in their civvies in a diamond. right, and they're hunching over the table because they're just so abnormally large. It's it's interesting. Like issue three just really kind of hammers home the fact that there are different factions with all with their different opinions for very valid reasons. Uh, a foreign country, Wakanda, led by the Black Panther, is not going to join in for, you know, political and possibly moral reasons. But he also has a friendship at stake because he knows the Fantastic Four. The issue with Wakanda, when Black Panther says the USA should stop, essentially he says the USA shouldn't be policing the world, which is the probably the most overt political thing the book says, uh, considering the time, right, 2007. Right. Like sure, Black yeah. Panther just comes out and says it. Everything else is kind of an allegory to what's happening in, in you know, in, in real life at the time. But Black Panther just comes out and says it. <laughs> and that's portrayed from the leader of a foreign country, which you do hear that from foreign countries. Whether or not we want to take that, you know, to affect political policy is, is a debatable issue. But there's definitely foreign countries that just feel like, the United States oversteps its bounds time and again. And they, you know, in many ways they might have an inferiority complex or simply they just can't match the military of the United States. And there, there's, there's potentially fear that motivates that opinion as well. Right. But from a foreign country's perspective, you know, you see that all the time. The, the last scene where once again, if, if I knew Captain America better, it might seem like he was out of character when they can conf- basically, uh, Tony Stark sets a trap for Mm -hmm. the secret Avengers now. Spider-Man says something that I was thinking the entire time, which is the only people that are going to win out of this are the bad guys. Mm. I'm thinking, who's stopping people from robbing banks? Who's stopping, you know? And they show a few times that the secret Avengers are out busting crime. Right. While Tony Stark, I assume, hunts the secret Avengers. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, But when Spider-Man brings that up, Cap is combative. 
Like he's always arguing in this. And then Iron Man speaks some sense about, hey, we got to win back people's trust because we blew up like a thousand people. And then Iron Man says, Cap, my old buddy, just give me five minutes to tell you what my plan is, which all seems pretty reasonable to me. Right. And he's a he's a CEO. So he's all about negotiation. Yeah. He's like, can we just please talk about this so we don't have Mm -hmm. to fight? And then Cap goes, absolutely. Shakes his hand. And right. booby traps him with some kind of some kind of exploding An, thing. An anti-tech thing, yeah. An anti-tech thing. So, like, you you could start the healing process right there. Mm-hmm. And Cap booby traps him. Right. And then a giant fight breaks out. Right. And once again, you know, it's hard to imagine that Cap was written as the protagonist of this mm, as right. I'm reading it now, you know, doing a, a dishonorable thing. Like, yeah, right. He does something dishonorable and then he mm-hmm. says a bunch of arrogant narcissistic things as he's mm-hmm. getting beat up. Right. And then of course Thor shows up. Right. So with regard to the, the dirty trick dropping the bomb on him there, um, yeah. I think it, potentially comes from a position of of fear and intimidation he he knows that toe to toe what are his odds against iron man right if he's leading this group and iron man's leading the other group eventually it's going to come down to this and he's got very few opportunities to make physical contact with iron man but once again this is a debate of is this out of character for the character and i think pretty much people on both sides are overstepping their character boundaries because they're subscribing to this pragmatic belief to a fault. Yeah, it's it's out of character, but that's what happens, you know? Right. People yeah. act out of character when mm-hmm. things get real, for lack of yeah. a better term. Right. Um, I don't know. It does show Captain America in the panels before he booby traps Tony Stark is looking up at the helicopters and looking mm-hmm. at the resistance that he's going to face and then decides, well, I got to take my shot. Like you said, you know, that's when he booby traps him. He's like, well, how many chances do I get to touch Iron Man? It just seems like there wasn't an evil agenda when Tony Stark says, hey, my old friend, mm-hmm. listen to what I have to say. So it was more like, you know, Captain America looks around and goes, we have to strike first. Right. Which is you know, terrifying. Me having read uh, Civil War Frontline skews way more towards Captain America and his cause. Okay. And that might have been why I had the opinion that I had. Um, But I think one of the brilliant things about this is it's not written in a way to simply paint Iron Man as crazy or all these people that are pro-registration crazy. That's probably one of the more fascinating things about this story is the quote unquote, whose side are you on, does give the reader the opportunity to choose a side. Yeah, and it presents both sides pretty fairly. So issue four starts mid-fight. There's fighting going on. You know, Iron Man recovers his suit systems. Goliath tries Thor, challenges him straight on, and Thor blasts a shot right through his chest. The Secret Avengers escape. Nighthawk, Cable, and Stature give up on the Secret Avengers. Sue writes a Dear John letter to Reed Richards. And then, at the very end, Iron Man's group recruits former supervillains to join the pro-registration group. Now, this entire summary has very valid issues of 
wow, a lot of character choices that could be deemed out of character. You know, again, out of character, but I think they do a good job of addressing it in character. Mm -hmm. Spider-Man changes his view on things when he's in the, of course, Goliath gets killed. Mm -hmm. That's the trigger for just, it's kind of the tipping point of the whole story where people are kind of like, it's decision making time. One of our friends just died. Yeah, Goliath gets brutally murdered by Thor, mm-hmm. or the Thor robot, as it turns right. out. Right, the Thor but clone slash android, yeah. There's, But there's a great scene where that Thor android is laying on like a hospital table because they're trying to yeah. tweak him. Right. Because he's he just killed one of their friends. <laughs> he's broken, yeah. Yeah, he's broken. And mm-hmm. Peter Parker is looking at Thor laying on the hospital table and they're using some, you know, scary medical equipment to like reprogram him. Yeah. And his eyes are open and he's kind of got this vacant expression laying on the side of a table. And yeah, and it looks like dri- it looks like Reed is drilling a hole through his ear. Yeah, that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. And Peter Parker is looking and I think it, it was great because at that point he goes, what am I a part of? Right. Like, what am I doing here? Yeah. And I think that's a great moment for him. Is he, you know, that that's the moment it clicks. And he goes, this mm-hmm. is getting too weird, too real. It doesn't paint the best picture of Peter Parker in this book. Interesting you say that, because I think in reading the supplemental material, it makes more sense. Okay. For, for yeah. his character choices. Um, I think Peter Parker believed what Iron Man believed with all the stuff with dealing with people innocent people dying, protecting the innocent, we got to do what's right. And he gave up what he found the most precious for protecting his home and his family was a secret identity. That's how much he believed in this cause. Right. And then when he realized that people that he admired, respected, and loved were doing these means to these ends, like creating a Thor that's capable of killing one of his friends, then he started to question, maybe Captain America is right because he's also someone that he respects and admires and is friends with. Yeah. He gets to see the hard reality of it. Like the aftermath of the fight. Right. You know, it's no longer because during the fight he's, you know, he's making his normal quips mm-hmm. like jumping around, you know, ragging on the people he's fighting, which includes Captain America. Yeah. Right. He steals right. his shield or whatever. And yeah. And afterwards, like the fun of it's gone. Not to say that he's doing it as like a, for thrills. Right. But, you know, once you see the reality, Goliath gets killed. Thor mm-hmm. is a Frankenstein monster mm-hmm. in this macabre laboratory. Like, right. Yeah. He sees the reality and he's not in for it anymore. Right. And now you also have characters which you may not be that familiar with Nighthawk, Cable, and Stature. They give up on the Secret Avengers. Now, the really odd thing for me is Cable leaving Captain America's cause. Now, Cable as well as Bishop, come from a future where mutants are hunted and persecuted in a post-apocalyptic world. The government basically owns mutants as slaves. For Cable to say, yeah, I'm out of here, Captain America. I don't believe in what you're fighting for. Just like, doesn't make much sense for me, and I don't think a lot of attention was paid to it. So I know that about Cable, but Mm -hmm. it didn't click as I'm reading it. Right. That's a fantastic point. Yeah, and I think it's not meant to be a big deal. And, like, literally they could have drawn anyone in that character that they wanted. But they chose Cable amongst Nighthawk as well 
Nighthawk is supposed to be their version of Batman. Like literally from a parallel dimension, they pulled the Justice League and they're called different names, the Squadron Supreme. Oh. So Nighthawk is their Marvel Comics version of pulling Batman from a parallel universe. So assuming that this is Batman, it also is like, whoa, Batman just doesn't behave like this, you know? But there's some things that you would be overlooking if you're only looking at him as a Batman parallel. In the Marvel Comics continuity, this character has also become president of the United States, whereas Batman never was. So he has maybe a different take on the federal law than, say, Bruce Wayne would. Okay, so that's you bring that up, and I mm-hmm. didn't know who he was. I was calling him Kyle because that's what right. they call him. Yeah. Nighthawk, okay. Mm-hmm. Kyle Nighthawk, yeah. So, and then on top of everything, someone who was reading this wasn't buying the character choices of, say, Sue leaving his kids and her husband because she didn't believe in his politics. She takes her brother and leaves. You know, someone was once saying, like, I wouldn't leave my dog with my wife if I didn't believe in her politics. Like, this just doesn't make any sense to me. Has has Sue ever left Reed in the past? I think it's it's valid to question it if you're attacking the writer's credibility of understanding the characters fine but if you subscribe to the writers being you know god in a sense writing who these characters are in this story i think it makes sense within the context of the story but i think many comic book fans have challenged the writing of a lot of these character choices well again with sue is it out of character? I don't know the Fantastic Four all that well, so I don't mm-hmm. know how many fights Sue and Reed get into. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's that usually her- stuff of this nature, like she's not paying enough attention to her, or he's not paying enough attention to her because he gets so wrapped up in his work and he just goes down the rabbit hole of all these discoveries. I don't know how many times he's helped create a Thor monster that's killed one of their friends. Right. Yeah. That seems right. like a pretty important, you know. Mm- Mm-hmm. event it's not like mm-hmm. oh reed's stuck in his work i'm leaving right right although in her dear john letter she does say it's not me crying out for attention again mm-hmm. or something which yeah. is potentially very sexist like that line i was like wow that's kind of harsh like would somebody yeah. say that about themselves it's not me <laughs> crying out for attention again but yeah I, I didn't think that was out of character you know, mm-hmm. her brother's in a coma and her husband may have gone crazy or at least <laughs> may have backed the wrong horse in her eyes. Right, right. She's the one that gets them out of there, right? She puts the shield over the secret Avengers and lets them escape. Um, but go- going back to when Kyle Nighthawk leaves, um, he points out, he sees that Cap is starting to go nuts. Like at this point, I feel like Captain America is starting to show that he's crazy or in mm-hmm. this story at least has is starting to go crazy because kyle leaves says look you're not bigger than the law right we we serve the law and you're now against it so nighthawk right. leaves right a few others and then and Captain i think America that's said, the that's the presidential kyle kind of making his appearance in that character yeah cap's response to that is that they don't care about freedom which seems like a line pulled directly out of 2007 right Right, right, absolutely. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're not with us, you're against us. You yeah. get, you know, you don't care about freedom and slippery slope arguments, right? Exactly. And Captain America just <laughs> hits him with that, which which was a little time capsule to take me right back to 2007. And the other thing that happens during that is Tony is once again reaffirmed by, at, he's at Goliath's funeral, 
and the victim's mother shows the up again. The victim's mom, right, yeah. Yeah, and says, Tony, you're doing a great thing. Mm-hmm. So he's Which like, okay. Which is essentially a 180 from their first encounter where she spits in his face. At the very end of this issue, it's revealed that they're going to recruit former supervillains to join the pro-registration group. Oh, thank you. That's when it stops making sense. <laughs> right. That's when the... Uh, if I'm on Iron Man's side, that's when mm-hmm. everything goes to hell and it stops right. making sense. Right. Because these are all serial killers, right? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, bullseye's in there. Exactly. <laughs> you don't negotiate I, with Bullseye? You know? And they give them like a fun name, the Thunderbolts. I don't know if that's a thing. The Thunderbolts are a thing, and that was the origin of the Thunderbolts were they were former criminals, and now they were fighting on the side of justice with new secret identities in the vacuum that was formed by the superheroes going off and being written by, you know, Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld in the Heroes Reborn series. Okay. So they left the core Marvel continuity to go off to these other issues recreated by you know, famous artists. Bullseye is the one that stands out to me. And yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Go on. I, I think looking, I know, but go on. They're looking for bodies, right? Like they're like, mm-hmm. we're Captain America might have too many. Um, he supporters. Has a lot of, yeah. He has supporters. So we need mm-hmm. help now. Right. So let's recruit some supervillains and mass murderers. Right. Cause that'll help our cause. Uh huh. But Bullseye doesn't really hold a candle to any of these other folks, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, Bullseye's just a psycho killer who's right. really accurate. Right. And you're pulling him in against, you know, some pretty mm-hmm. big hitters. Captain America. Yeah. Right. Not just his, like, what, what are they, like, Daredevil and the typical, like, street-level people he fights. If you have to pick, why does Bullseye make the cut? He's essentially just a really yeah. accurate guy. Right, right. And he, he has right. like a healing factor, maybe. I don't know if he has a healing factor, but he does have an adamantium skeleton, so that that okay. might be why why you thought that. But uh, he's a good shot. He's a and good shot. You could basically put any firearm in his hand, supplied by Shield, in which case he would be a super heavy hitter for your cause. And of course, he's great at martial arts. He's good with edged weapons. You put him up against Captain America, he's not going to go down very quick, you know? It just seems like you're getting diminishing returns, you know? Like, okay, we need help. Let's go get some psycho killers to help us out. And S.H.I.E.L.D. makes that decision. Right. S.H.I.E.L.D. makes that decision. And in the next issue, they... You know, they bring up how they assume they're going to maintain control over these characters. Right. But it, yeah, that it would almost make more sense if Captain America had gone that route. Mm, out of a, cr- an act of desperation because he's outgunned. Right. And to the political point, remember, this is a a recent post 9-11 world this is written in. Um, there was debate and were used. There were former terrorists and former criminals used for information to get at these terrorist networks right absolutely so i think that that's the parallel they're attempting you know desperate times desperate measures issue five johnny and sue jump ship and they're now secret avengers nighthawk stature and cable have switched sides spider-man announces he's defecting from iron man and as a result, they sick the jack-o'-lantern and Jester on Spider-Man. He is rescued by Punisher. Daredevil is captured and is sent to 42 in the negative zone. That's issue five. I'm a Punisher fan. 
to see him show up in this and then kill two D-listers. Um, <laughs> that were assaulting uh, Spider-Man? Right. So Iron Man essentially sends his hired psychopath killers after Spider-Man and then Punisher saves Spider-Man by mm-hmm. executing them in the sewer and then brings Spider-Man to Captain America, which is when the comic really gets fantastic to me. Because mm-hmm. now we start pointing out what hypocrites everybody is. <laughs> right. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so Punisher brings Spider-Man and says, hey, I saved Spider-Man. And then the whole crew of Rebels kind of become hypocrites because they don't want to team up with Frank. Right. right? Well, Frank right. is a vigilante maniac. Yeah. Why would we hook up with the Punisher? Although, right. to S.H.I.E.L.D., they're vigilante maniacs, right? Right. Th- this whole group of people. This whole group of people. Mm-hmm. But there's a moral line that they've arbitrarily drawn somewhere, and mm-hmm. the Punisher falls underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> you kill people, Punisher. Right. You kill people. I mean, mm-hmm. you could argue that Captain America also kills people when he kicks them in the traffic. Um, because he doesn't follow the rules that they decided on among themselves Mm -hmm. right the punisher goes out and shoots people to death right they're like well that's not part of our rules now there's no set rules for the super community that's what Mm -hmm. iron man's trying to accomplish right right but they don't they didn't make up the rules so they don't want to be part of them. Yes, right? right, right. So these are rules that they've essentially made up, which is rules of morality. We don't which murder them, people. Yeah, Right. Each of them can decide what mm-hmm. morality they choose to follow. Right, right. Right. Yeah, because they're not they're not bound by the law. Right. Yeah. So they decide on their own morality and then they mm-hmm. become hypocrites because they do team up with the Punisher. Mm-hmm. And the Punisher's a serial killer. Right. Like, from both ways, you shouldn't deal with the Punisher if you're trying to keep some credibility. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, he does execute people. Right. Like, literally execute them. Like, yes. oh, okay, take me in. And he puts a gun in their mouth and pulls the trigger. <laughs> yep. Um, And this is when Bear- Daredevil also gets arrested, right? That's right. So he's incarcerated at the end of this, and he gives the symbolic piece of silver for Iron Man portraying the Judas character. Right, because Daredevil's Catholic, and right. he believes that nuclear bombs walking around the streets don't need any accountability. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to really boil it down. Mm-hmm. I mean, calling Tony Judas is is a, a leap for me. Right. Like, Daredevil doesn't... Maybe Daredevil's not privy to the Avengers stuff, because he's mm-hmm. Daredevil. Mm-hmm. And he's chasing around muggers in Hell's Kitchen. But that's a stretch. Like, he gives him the coin, and Tony's, like, taken aback and, like, stands there staring at it. And it's like, you know, what Tony's fighting for is not, it's not some maniacal plan. Right. You know, it's not trying to sink California so Arizona has better real estate. Right. Like, he wants these walking nuclear weapons to mm-hmm. to, to have some kind of accountability to someone. Right. Not just be able to take off their mask after they blow up a school bus. Yeah. And go, whoops, well, back to my day job. Whereas Daredevil exactly wants to go back to his day job because that's exactly how he does his superheroing. Right. (laughs) So it it was a very, I feel like when the panel was drawn, it was a very heavy moment for Tony Stark. Right. But I read it and I just went, oh, well, Daredevil's a Catholic and he's kind of nuts. So that's why he does the Judas thing. Like it didn't, it didn't land with me. I didn't, Judas didn't apply Mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. 
Next issue is issue six. Reed has reprogrammed his Thor clone. The 50-state initiative is revealed with the man-made Olympians. There's Sue, who attempts to recruit Namor for the cause of anti-registration. By the way, Namor is not about it. He's not about joining the fray. Diamondback tries to recruit some supervillains into the Secret Avengers, but Punisher murders them. Punisher will not fight Captain America, who's pounding the heck out of him for murdering these two people without any warning. Later on, Doctor Strange announces to the Watcher that he will remain neutral as well. Iron Man springs another trap thanks to his spy Tigra, and Hulkling was a spy the whole time posing as Yellowjacket as the two teams square off at the end of issue six in the 42 prison. When Namor gives his speech to <clears throat> Sue Storm, yeah, did that make you think of Aquaman telling... Yeah, it did. In Kingdom Come? I've got the other 75% of the world to watch over? It's, yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's essentially it. It's like, what do I care about your surface squabblings? The only difference is, at that point, Namor gets a little bit creepy with Sue Storm. Yeah, he does. So I assume they used to date. I don't know. He's always had a thing for Sue Storm since the Fantastic Four first squared off against the Submariner. Okay. And um, in even in the initial writings, like Sue's kind of like, wow, he's a good-looking guy. There is a little something there, but Sue has always remained loyal to Reed as her true love. I think Namor to Sue has always been a guilty pleasure, but she would never actually act on it. If you hadn't have pointed that out to me, just reading that comic book, I would assume they used to be an item. Because Namor is pretty forward with it. He, you know, he, he makes, I forget exactly what he says, but he then touches her face. I think there have been at least one or two incidents where he's kidnapped her and the Fantastic Four had to go save her. And then either she actually genuinely had feelings for her or it's an example of Stockholm Syndrome. But there is definitely something there where she's sympathetic towards Namor as not being all bad. Now, in that point in his history, in the golden age of Marvel Comics, Namor was a superhero that fought alongside Golden Age Human Torch and Captain America during World War II. And since then, he's become a little more gray, a little more neutral. It's it, in even in some of the old stories, he's kind of been like anti surface dwellers. So it's weird because sometimes he's fighting on the side of justice and sometimes he's fighting against the surface world, usually for issues like pollution or something that's going to affect Atlantis on some level. Okay. So, yeah, he's been an anti hero, he's been a villain, he's been a superhero. It's it just kind of depends on the month of the year. Okay, so he's flighty. Right. And that's why Sue approaches him. Right. And he mentions in this conversation about his cousin Namorita, which was one of the new warriors who died in this explosion that happens. In fact, she's the one that kind of not causes it, but is is fighting. Right. She's the one that goes toe to toe with Nitro. And then she says she makes some quip for the reality show. And Nitro says you're playing in the big leagues and blows up. Right. When when the whole issue with Cap and the Punisher goes down, I thought this was fascinating. Okay. Because the supervillains show up on the doorstep, right? They right. Sh- the supervillains show up to work for Captain America. Now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And basically, they show up because what Tony's doing is working, and the supervillains are scared. Mm-hmm. Like, from their mouths, <laughs> they're mm-hmm. like, it's 
we we're going to help you because we don't want to get arrested because shields, you know, basically it's working. Right. Crimes down. Mhm. But now the argument of a police state comes up, right? Right, right. It, which is better? Mhm. <laughs> is it security or is it liberty? Right. Um, yeah, so liberty applies not just to law-abiding citizens, but even villains. Right. Right. Now you could argue that the villains have another have different skin in the game. They do. Right. Yeah, they're they're profiting off of, you know, taking advantage of the weak and and such. Right. Um but it is essentially the same law that applies either way. The and whole it, reason anyone would support it is because it thwarts people from doing wrong. Right. And I think that highlights it mm-hmm. wonderfully when they show up. Although it's all a moot point because then the Punisher kills them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, you know, they're shown as hypocrites again because mm-hmm. they beat up the Punisher. He won't fight Captain America. Right. Because of his own arbitrary moral code. And then they're hypocrites because they don't arrest the Punisher. He kills two people in cold blood. Then they beat right. him up and let him go. Yeah. Which they wouldn't have done if either of those villains had shot the Punisher. So the two supervillains that show up to join Cap and the Punisher guns them down. Right. If those supervillains had showed up and gunned down the Punisher, they probably would have arrested those supervillains. Sure, yeah. Or taken them into custody. Right. But the Punisher does it. And they're fine. I mean, they, they are upset, and they beat oh, him Oh, I see what you're saying. They didn't turn him into authorities for murdering these two No, they let him go. I gotcha. Yeah. Which, which is what I find interesting about the book. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess at the time it was out of character and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what makes it fascinating, is that you've yeah. got all these contradictions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, they don't like the Punisher because he makes up his own moral code, just right. like every one of them does. Right. But his moral code is, I can shoot people to death, but I'm not going to throw a punch at Captain America. Right, right. And, you know, he mm-hmm. made that up the same way uh, Nighthawk made up his code of ethics. And right. Batman and, you know, mm-hmm. Iron Man and everybody. Yeah. Has this own their own arbitrary line they won't cross. Right, true. And Punisher has no problem executing people, but will not throw a punch at Captain America. Captain America, even in self-defense. Right. At which point, mm-hmm. maybe the best panel of the comic where somebody compares Captain America to the Punisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Punisher to Captain America. Right. And Captain America growls at them and says, I'm nothing like him. He's insane. Right. And, and which, the look on his face looks completely insane. Right. Which is, I mean, that's an old adage, right? If mm-hmm. you say that you're not crazy, you're right. crazy. Right. <laughs> Any person that says, no, no, I'm not crazy. You're crazy. We all yeah. know that. <laughs> so yeah. when Captain America says he's insane, <laughs> yeah, look in the mirror. Right. At that point, at least. And that's pretty much every, like, that's that's issue six, right? Like, that's the big event. Yeah. Um, well, they, and then at the very end is when they're about to square off yet again. The two factions are going to fight. Here we go. Oh, they sneak into the right. area 42. Exactly. Yeah, and then there was the double bluff, which seemed to happen. That's You know what's funny? That's when it turned back into a, a comic story for me. Oh, it's like, you've been spying on us? Well, we've been spying on you. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. We, we both had someone. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's get to the point. Let's, you know, Because I'm into it at that point. You know what right. I mean? Like, oh, no. 
what's going to happen and how are they going to resolve this? And then, mm-hmm. oh, it's a double bluff. Okay. <laughs> it's a switcheroo. It's a switcheroo. It's the Hulkling. Okay. <laughs> I guess he can do that. Mm-hmm. And of course, because not everybody knows all the characters, me included, the Hulkling has to exposit that. He has to say, I can turn into anybody. Right. <laughs> as he's as he's screwing them over, he has to point that out. <laughs> I have the ability to change shapes. Yep. He oh, says good that. good to know, because we right don't know the, the Hulkling. <laughs> Which is lucky, because I had no idea there's a Hulkling. I don't know any of these D-listers. But that's where it ends, right? Is it's about yes. Everything's about to go down. So here it goes. We're going to go down in issue seven. The brawl breaks out in Area 42. Am I calling it Area 42 now? Fine. It's Area 42. <laughs> Cloak, <laughs> you know, some, some punches are exchanged. Cloak eventually teleports them into Times Square. Then Atlantis joins the fray. So I guess Namor's no longer going to be uh, neutral in this. Hercules destroys the Thor cyborg. And then eventually the people of New York City, including EMTs, firemen, you know, all heroes from 9-11 are going to try to apprehend Captain America. They're attacking him. They're trying to restrain him. Captain America realizes what he's doing is outside of what he signed up for in the first place, and he turns himself in as Steve Rogers. At the very end, there's the exchange of the mother of one of the victims from the original tragedy with Tony Stark, the new head director of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he says, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. The end. So I assume he remained head of shield for about two issues. <laughs> it was a few months. It was um, oh, because then the secret invasion happens. Right. Right. Exactly. I know there was a lot at the time. There was a lot of criticism mm-hmm. over how quickly like Captain America just decides to give himself up and that he had been acting out of character and he sees what he's done. Mm-hmm. But once again, isn't that the fascinating part of the story? I think so. Yeah. Like the the static nature of superhero comics is what kind of keeps me out, mm-hmm. right? The fact that every time Captain America is going to do the same thing, right? You know, at what point am I just reading the same story mm-hmm. over and over and over? Right, because so they're Captain- bound by the certain moral codes that that character has been painted into. That if they don't ever go outside of that, then you know exactly what kind of choice they're going to make. Right. And outside of world-shattering events, Captain America is probably not going to lose this fight, right, in any particular Mm -hmm. comic. Right, right. And he's going to do it the same way, and when there's a tough decision, he's going to pick the, you know, American way, whatever you want to call it. Right. Whereas in this comic, he does does the opposite. Yeah. He decides that he's going to go underground and, you know, make a bunch of very tough decisions and kind of lose himself, which is what happens. Right. When you get uh, consumed with a cause like that. Yeah, exactly. He and a lot of other characters are definitely consumed with a lot of the reality of the situation. And there are different events in this, particularly the death of Bill Foster, the Goliath, which is an eye-opening moment for people. And they don't necessarily make the same decisions as a result. Some people go pro-left and some people go pro-right, but it changes a lot of people's ideas of what they're fighting for. Yeah, it's that lightning rod event, and they choose poor Goliath to be the one that has to go down. But right. basically, like you said, it's it's a lightning rod. That yeah. Not everybody sees it as this... Well, everyone sees it terrible that he passed away. 
Mm-hmm. I say passed away as if he died in his sleep. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he was killed. Drilled. Yeah, he was killed by Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not an event that favors one side or the other. It kind of opens everyone's eyes to, oh, no, this there's real consequences to this. So overall, and we're still we're still in 2007 terms, but overall, you know, I liked the story, you know, maybe a few issues revisiting it, but um, you like the story, too. I, I really like the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. I think that it, especially in 2007, it it shows Captain America doing things we never thought he would do. Right. And if you think back, it. It's kind of appropriate because America is doing things we never thought it would do. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. I so agree. it kind of parallels that. Mm-hmm. And it's written by um, Mark Miller, spelt Millar, but Mark Miller, who is from from Europe. He's from like in Scotland, He's but he's kind of an outsider. You know what I mean? He's not born and bred American, you know, so. Which is why he might have this take on right. these superheroes. Yeah, I think so. And maybe Captain America is not the unimpeachable, mm-hmm. you know, right character to him because yeah. it's Captain America. Right. All right. So at the time of this recording, it is January of 2016, and we both recently reread this story in 2016. And OMG, a lot of stuff has happened in the last nine years. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, particularly in the last three to four years, uh, especially now. This book is written with quite some distance from 9-11. The first issue comes out over five years after the tragic events of 9-11. We, in 2016, are still feeling the effects of tragedies that have happened within the last, really, two years, right? Yeah. Two years ago. Um, So, we didn't go into detail if you're not familiar with the story, but in this story... There is an explosion that happens which destroys a school, coincidentally, in Connecticut. Uh, and in this school is an elementary school, so children have lost their lives. It is definitely a an emotional issue for characters in the story. Um, reading it now, you can't help but think of Newtown, Connecticut, um, because obvious obvious reasons. Uh, the, the tragedy that happened at Sandy Hook Elementary it's still fresh in our minds and hearts. And knowing that, if you just picked this up off the shelf and you didn't know when this was written, you'd think that this is in poor, poor taste that someone would write this with yeah. that so recently happening. You just blew my mind because mm-hmm. it never occurred to me that it happens in Connecticut in yeah. Civil War. It's insane, right? I, like, I was yeah. like, Stanford, Stanford, that's in Connecticut, isn't it? And sure enough, Stanford, Connecticut... Um, Newtown, Connecticut is when the actual tragedy happened in the real world years after this story is written. I, I think it was like seven, seven or eight years after that this story is written that that happens. Uh, it wasn't an, it wasn't an explosion of course, but I mean, you know, way too many children died in that incident and it's still emotional for anyone at this point to, to think about. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, I didn't want to bring it up early in the recording because it would have driven it outside of what the writer had intended it to be. Right. But it, it, it was just inescapable for me reading. It's like, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> just thinking that there are literally parallels now. It's like, yeah, if kids die in a tragic incident, it affects people. It affects policy 
we just yeah go on oh i was gonna say it affects everything everything i mean you you've i would argue that this book is potentially more interesting now right to me to read Mm -hmm. one you know i'm a little older hopefully a little wiser but Mm -hmm. you're reading it's as relevant as it was when it came out in 2007 right except now you see things a different way Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't see captain america as going crazy almost the first time i read it you know i didn't Mm -hmm. look at both sides and go oh man this is a parallel to this tony stark Mm -hmm. is reacting by this poor woman crying right and then you basically it's almost like you're supporting the other side now. That's in 2016. Right. I'm on Captain America's side. Right. Yeah, the the story today doesn't evoke national security. It doesn't evoke um homeland security. What right, people compare it to the the easy thing to compare it to now is simply the the second amendment. It's it's gun control. It's stuff like that. And now it's like, "Whoa, so if if you were on whatever part of the debate of homeland security, now you're on a different part of the debate because it's gun control. And uh, yeah, it's it's amazing because this foreign writer has touched upon stuff that someone as a citizen of a, a foreign country looks at Americans as this is how Americans behave, this is how Americans react. Now we have a completely different issue that wasn't an issue, uh, it wasn't a tragedy at the time of this writing, and now it completely changes the parallels of reality of how we're we're looking at this story yeah it's it's amazing because 2007 there was a different political climate in the country mm-hmm. right and yeah you could argue that everything is different in 2016 yeah nine years later right mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. different uh party in office right different everything mm-hmm. and yet or or i should say and rather the whole comic book like you said, has switched meanings. Right. Right? It, it's still a very, very sharp parallel to what's happening mm-hmm. in America, except it's a totally different issue that it's representing now. Right, right. And I can't think of many books that that can remain that relevant. Mm-hmm. Outside of great books, like 1984. hmm Right? And I never thought in a million years I would be comparing... Marvel Civil War to 1984, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, a book that stays relevant despite the issues of the day. Similar themes. You have uh, an oppressive government. You know, when when is the government overstep? When is it necessary for a government to dictate a change in policy when you need to change people's freedoms? And now we're going forward. In the wake of tragedies like uh, Newtown, Connecticut, the tragedy in, um, what was it, South Carolina, the, the Baptist Church. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of these issues that are at the forefront. We're only, what, a week removed as of this recording from the President of the United States being moved emotionally to tears in talking about these uh, issues that we're discussing right now. Moving forward, oh, here's another parallel. Um, just within the last few weeks, the theme parks here in Orlando, Florida, Disney World and SeaWorld, like they've moved towards metal detectors in the front of all the parks. Like that was not a deal wow. until very recently. Really? Yeah. Like we've just moved towards metal detectors in front of all the parks. 
That's huge. Um, yeah, it is. Different ways to approach the policy, whether it be you know randomly pulling people from the line and, and having them go through the metal detectors or whatever it is. But you know you can't ensure that a place is safe unless you can ensure that no one can be carrying firearms, whether they be law-abiding or not. So in a lot of these groups, this this was in the wake of, I forgot to mention this tragedy, uh, the, the wake of the, the Paris shootings. So Arguably the, I shouldn't say the worst, but, but certainly the most. But it was a huge most, scale, like a couple a hundred scale, people, yeah. yeah. So yeah, this was a very recent event, a very recent tragedy. So that's motivated this policy that's going on in the theme parks where if you have a large group of people in a small you know, relatively speaking, small area, then that is an opportunity for someone who's nefarious with a firearm to do a lot of damage. And so, yeah, the the theme parks have moved in this direction. You know, we may be moving into a direction where anywhere that there are ever crowds, whether it be places you would have thought of in the past, churches, schools, you already have them at sporting events, concerts, and such. But uh, yeah, metal detectors might be very, very common going forward. And that's a freedom that we may have just had to accept is is no longer with us, you know? Well, you know, you bring up the metal detector and I feel like that's a, that's a solution, right? Mm -hmm. A, a quote unquote safe zone is not a solution. Unless you make it actually safe. uh, Unless you enforce (laughs) it's a safe zone. Right. A sign leaves someone up to their own, own devices. Right. Only the, someone can, who abides we, by the sign. We can, right, we can parallel it to civil war mm-hmm. in that people have their own morality. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Somebody may bring a firearm into a safe zone and say, well, this is, I'm I'm a law-abiding citizen, but I mm-hmm. need to protect myself, so I'm going to break the law. Right. Which I which Captain America does the entirety of this book. Right. Right? He goes, well, my, my morals are more important than the law. Mm-hmm. Which you can do. But by having a metal detector, you take that out of it. Right. You just, everybody gets checked and know, now everybody inside knows that they're safe. Right. As, you know, relatively. Mm-hmm. Imagine going to church and you're going through a metal detector. Like anywhere you go, a movie, you know, yet another thing that happened since this book came out. The movie theater Multiple tragedy. times. Yeah. Yeah. So movie theaters having metal detectors, you know, just anywhere you think of with crowds of people you know, say the mall, it's something like it might just be the way of life that we have to look forward to going forward because of the reality of firearms. Well, that's the thing, you know, if there was a wand that you could wave and just erase them, obviously Mm -hmm. that would be the solution. Mm -hmm. But some people would oppose that too. Coming as someone who's more pro firearm than gun control, Mm -hmm. although I'm, I'm closer to the middle as I age. Right. Um, if I knew I was safe, I wouldn't need to think about a firearm. If I walked through a metal detector, so to speak, I would at least feel safe. I mean, mm-hmm. you can get into the conspiracy theories. What if somebody gets one through? I mean, right. what are you going to do? Right? right? What if a meteor hits the planet? Sure. <laughs> you know, but if if you felt if I felt safe, then you wouldn't feel a need to defend yourself, right? And so as much as I don't like the reality of walking through a metal detector everywhere mm-hmm. I go, it at least gives you the the assurance that people are actually checking, you know? Right. Like you're not 
you're not walking into a dangerous situation potentially. And not that I think that every movie or sporting event I go to is a dangerous situation. It's just I'm I would be okay with that oversight. Right. And again, that's what this book is about, right? How much mm-hmm. oversight are you okay with? Crazy. So when you first read Civil War, mm-hmm. what 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 what's the difference in your impression today between the characters in Civil War? The characters, like I definitely notice out of character um, things that they did because a lot of fans were saying, yeah, this was out of character, this was out of character. I didn't notice it at first, but now that I had that in mind, I was kind of looking for it and definitely noticed it this time around. Now, I still enjoy the story. I think it's great. And I think as a standalone story, I would recommend it to someone like yourself who, hey, I'm just reading a superhero story. I'm not worried about what happened outside of this self-contained beginning, middle, and end. I do think it's a little bit rushed not reading any of the supplemental material, but the fact that it can lead to a political discussion or shine some light on the issues that we have in this country, I think is great. It's it's really unique mm-hmm. in that, like I said, it stays relevant right. for so long, number one. And it, I think it could have it could have could have had three more issues. Yeah, probably. They could have stretched a little bit. I think they were waiting for other books that were supplementing it to catch up because they can't release the last issue when other books are still resolving their story arcs. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure from a business standpoint, you don't want to be in Civil War land for a year and a half. Right, right. Two years. Mm -hmm. But you you brought up something, and I am am a casual comic book reader. Mm -hmm. I have enough background on most of the characters to know what's happening. Yeah. When you start throwing D-listers at me, I I don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. But luckily, they don't really matter in the story. Right. That's why I think I appreciate the characters changing, right? Yeah. Tony Stark doing things out of character, Captain America doing things out of character. Right. Is it something that is so important that makes you act out of character, that makes you question your current uh, morality that you typically abide by? Right. And, and being, you know, in 2016, you can see precisely where Tony Stark is coming from nowadays. Right. Right. Maybe in 2007. And I'm speaking more as, as the comic community as a whole, as I observed it, mm-hmm. where Tony Stark was the bad guy. Right. Right. I mean, do you remember that when it came out? Like, Tony Stark was the bad guy. Yeah, I think for the most part. Um, but... You know, there might have been a select few that did side with Tony Stark. Yeah, again, I I sided with Tony Stark, but it was more out of a, I'm not a superhero. Right. Right? In real life, I'm not a superhero, Mm -hmm. so I agree. Yeah. But even, like, assuming he's the villain, throw a couple of mass shootings, Mm -hmm. right, on the popular consciousness. Right. And you read it again, and Mm -hmm. suddenly... Captain America's almost the villain. It seems very self-centered. I'm going to protect my yeah. yeah, I'm going to protect my secret identity. I'm going to protect my friend's secret identity. The greater good isn't important. But the great thing about this story is at the very end it's pointed out why that's crazy. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining me. This was a great Thank- recording. I'm so glad we got to reread The Civil War 9 years after it was released. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Yeah, it was great to read this again. Especially in 2016. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.